0: Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig, Also from The Athletic, you are listening to Beyond the Scrum, a baseball podcast for The Athletic. Mark, how's it going, man? Doing all right, Andy, yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, You know, just it feels great to be, you know, alone with my thoughts. So um, we are here. We wanted to have a guest this week, and we thought there would be no one better. We wanted to go big. So for the inaugural guest for this podcast. We have Ken Rosenthal. Ken, how's it going, man? It's going well,
1: and as I told you guys both when you requested that I come on, it is an honor to be with the cool kids. And people might say, well, why are you calling Andy and Mark the cool kids? Well, I'm sort of the old man on the staff, me and Jason Stark and Peter Gammons, and the younger writers, male and female, frequently remind some of us older folk of our, Cultural inadequacies. So to be in the same audio situation with Andy and Mark might raise my credibility a little bit.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm just appreciative that you've checked out of the four uh, seasons and ended up here in the hostel. You know, thanks for (laughs) slubbing it with us.
0: All good, fellas. Yes. And by the way, Ken's. Ken's audio is being recorded Through a Vitrola, And that's why it sounds that way So that's he, he wanted to go old school For this podcast <laughs> that's
1: exactly right You guys don't even understand What transistor radios were And all these other Old fashioned things So <laughs> you're going to learn A little bit today About how it
0: used to be Yeah <laughs> Yeah Ken's, Ken's really struggling That he can't You know Go down to the local Soda jerk And get a malt Or whatever guys did Back then <laughs> <laughs>
1: Exactly right
0: uh hey uh no we're uh you know uh first of all first things first ken are you are you staying safe are you feeling all right is family good kind of how are you just personally uh handling things these days
1: yeah everybody here is good um we've got our daughter with us one of our three kids our kids are all in their 20s Our other two are scattered across the country everybody seems to be well and i'm just hoping for the best for everyone who is not well or maybe struggling in some fashion because obviously this is a time when there are a lot of things going on and a lot of things that are really troubling.
0: Right, right. Um, So we wanted to talk to you kind of about just the challenges of doing, you know, know, our jobs and your job, but, you know, at a time like this. And, like, you know, look, we – write about baseball the most of a lot of the people we cover make millions of dollars a year they are not the people at uh, at risk necessarily at a time like this and they're not the people with kind of working without uh, a safety net at least in the big leagues we don't have to get into the the minor league discussion just yet but what are the challenges of just kind of trying to do your job and write about your field at a time when it might come across as insensitive and it might be, you know, frustrating for readers to hear about kind of the, you know, the trials and tribulations of the folks in the industry you cover. And it definitely is different.
1: And I've run into a few situations that I didn't really anticipate and maybe didn't properly understand going into them. And I've kind of had to recalibrate a little bit out of sensitivity to the readers and understanding that hey people are suffering, people are on edge people for whatever reason might react differently than they would to a normal story that I'm writing mm-hmm. and that said my job is to cover baseball, that is what I do and baseball is still going on not in terms mm-hmm. of games right now but there are negotiations between the players and owners about how the 2020 season will be played, mm-hmm. there are various other issues that are certainly newsworthy, and I'm going to cover those things. Now, when I say that, I certainly have learned through this process that it is different and that, hey, you've got to take a little bit different approach. And I'll give you two examples. The first was a column I wrote. It was two days before all sports shut down. And it was at a time prior to that when the court sports going on were reacting by closing clubhouses to reporters. That was their first step. So I wrote a column basically explaining why clubhouse access was important and explaining within the call that, hey, this is not a big issue compared to everything else going on, but here's why it matters. It matters because it makes stories better, and ultimately it benefits readers. I thought at the time, it was appropriate. Now, others disagreed, which, of course, is fair, and the chance anyone takes anytime he or she writes the column, people might disagree. That's the way it works. Mm -hmm. But two days later when the sports all shut down, then the column in retrospect looked really inappropriate to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I understood that. And in hindsight, I wish I had better anticipated what was coming. Now, maybe no one could have anticipated what was coming and how quickly it occurred. If you remember, it was lightning fast. But, hey, it's our job to anticipate and put ourselves in context and put what we're writing in context and make sure everything kind of works. I don't know that I did the best Mm -hmm. job of it in that Mm -hmm. circumstance. I did what I thought was appropriate at the time, but when you look back on it, I don't know that, again, it was the best decision. The other issue that arose, and this one should have been less surprising, but it's still kind of took me aback a little bit was the other night it was saturday i believe and i wrote a story Mm -hmm. quoting an agent seth levinson on the record about the importance of service time to players even when a season is lost and this is the kind of thing that the players and owners are negotiating right now it's actually the central issue the matter of service time whether players will be credited Mm -hmm. even for lost time Mm -hmm. and the story was not received poorly it explained right at the top that Levinson acknowledges he's coming off or this argument might come off as petty in the greater context here. But <laughs> later that night, the Athletics sent out a tweet just with one of the quotes from the agent and saying, here's the story, and I retweeted it. I thought, oh, that's fine, I'll retweet that. I didn't even think twice about it. Well, I right. probably should have right. thought twice about it because <laughs> out of context, the quote – it, it was jarring to people and it, it was offensive to people. Like, hey, what are you? What are these guys talking about? This is ridiculous. So I cleaned mm-hmm. it up or tried to clean it up anyway by explaining that the first sentence said that he understands that might come off as petty. And then I explained, hey, my job is to report. It. That's what I do, guys. And I think that tweet got over 10,000 likes, mm-hmm. that second tweet, which is highly unusual for me. I don't even count them usually, but right? for some reason, <laughs> looked at this and I was like, whoa. And I I think while people, a great number of people, are on edge and are reacting to things in ways they ordinarily might not, a lot of other people, obviously, want other types of news right now. They want to know what's going on in baseball. It's their passion, the sport they love. And even if it's players and owners bickering, as they often do, they'll be happy to read it. So there is that balance trying to strike that balance, and hopefully run it each day.
2: Well, let me read that tweet. And for those scoring at home, it was 10,300 likes. And this was sent on the 21st. The baseball players and owners currently are negotiating an agreement about how they will handle a variety of issues related to the delay of the season. I cover baseball. That is why I continue to write about this. Goes without saying people are facing deeper problems. Uh, That kind of summarizes it all right there. I I, I was just curious, you started your answer earlier with uh, the sense that a lot of these things did not get anticipated, Ken. And I guess I'm wondering, is that the sense that you got from the people you were talking to just within the game? Because I was down there right when baseball shut down, and I swear until Thursday morning it was almost as if there were blinders on and people were just sort of going on their normal business. What was your read leading up to the day everything shut down?
1: I agree with you, Mark. And it was normal business until that player in the NBA tested positive. And then everything changed. Now, again, should people like us have seen that coming? I don't know, maybe. Uh, Certainly, I wish I had, to a greater extent, anyway. But it was business as usual, and when the clubhouses closed and the next day the PR staff of the various teams started arranging interviews for us, I thought that was something that would continue for a couple of weeks, right? So it's been an unprecedented time in so many ways, so many ways that are more meaningful than what we're talking about. But these are the lives we really the jobs that we have, and that's why we're talking about them. And... Again, it's something where we don't even know where this is going. People keep asking, when's the season going to start? Well, good luck trying to figure that one out. Everyone keeps speculating and guessing, which I think is pretty dumb, actually, because there is no one who has any idea. Go day by day and try to figure out the best story or not that day and hopefully address it from there. Now, I'll tell you this. Jason Stark and I have a series of things coming over the next couple of days. Uh, mostly tomorrow, about different things that the game is facing right now. And I've got a hopefully a fun story coming later this week about Victor Martinez and how he's now a horse owner with a horse that might go to the Kentucky Derby or will go to the Kentucky Derby if they have the Derby in September, which is now the current schedule. So a lot of our writers, including you guys, are trying to do some different things and trying to keep people entertained because that is what we do. And at a time like this, I almost feel like it's more important because people are looking for something else, and that's where we are.
0: Hmm. Was it, uh, did, like, in maybe last week, you know, you've kind of, it sounds like you've come to the conclusion that it's more important, but, like, did you feel at all last week? Like, I mean, I, I can just speak for myself. Like, there were times when I was reporting stuff when I was like, I just feel really useless right now. Like, I feel, like, really, like... Like what I'm doing is very dumb. And, and I'm just curious, like if you had to fight like an internal governor, if you just felt sort of defeated or anything like that by sort of just the the just the the, the immensity of, you know, how potentially devastating this situation could be.
1: No, not personally. Now, parents of my age group in the 50s, right? Or even not late 50s, like me, mm-hmm. who have kids in their 20s, mm-hmm. maybe your parents, guys, are feeling this. You worry about your kids. And you're worried not just about their present situations and how they will all be affected, which they will, but you worry about their futures. And what's so unifying or should be unifying about this moment is that we're all in this together. And I know it sounds trite, but it's the truth. We all have different issues resulting from this. It might be your kids. It might be your parents. Mm It might be something else in your own career. It, there are a hundred different things going on for everybody. And yeah. that is the difficult part yeah. of dealing with it. I have found that working has taken my mind off. It's kept me busy, and it's been kind of a, a, an outlet, I guess. So that part of it, and I have not felt defeated. But hey, you know what, guys? The one thing you learn in a situation like this Everyone has their own experiences, everyone has their own feelings, and they're all justified. They're all understandable because it's so just damn weird what is going on. And and not just weird, but awful and heartbreaking for so many people.
2: You know, Ken, we talked about this last week. Andy wrote a really cool column about opening day and some of the little rituals that He's going to miss about that day since it's going to get pushed back. Um, And that's a best-case scenario. And I was just curious, in all the years that you've covered Ball, what, what was your favorite things? What are your favorite things about being at the park on opening day? What are your favorite things about working the clubhouse and just doing the job at the park?
1: My favorite thing about doing the job, period, is the people. And it's you guys. My fellow writers, it's the scouts, it's the agents, it's the players, it's the executives, it's everyone in the sport, the union, the MLB people, all these people who are in our orbit. They're so different. And it's so interesting to interact with them every day, sometimes exasperating, depending on the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but I love opening day, seeing all my friends. And it's not just the writers, for at the Yankee Stadium, it's the guys outside the clubhouse, it's the Yankee security guys, it's everyone, people in the lunchroom. It's just everyone that you, you kind of come into contact as part of your daily routine. And of course, I love the games and watching the games and covering the games, but it's really, that is ultimately about people too. And that is why the sport sucked me in in a way that kind of came later. I wasn't one of these kids who grew up I'm going to be a baseball writer. It wasn't even a thought in my head. I figured I just want to be someone who covered a sports team, any of the sports. So that's what I love about it. That's what I miss now is seeing everybody. And, of course, I think most people feel that way about their jobs, if they like their jobs, yes.
2: So now Andy kind of threw this curveball at me too. What was your first opening day as a beat writer, Ken? What team, uh, what season?
1: 1987, before you children were even born. <laughs> um, it was Orioles.
0: I was not alive on opening day 1987, that's true. <laughs> I don't exactly remember the opponent.
1: Now, I remember opening day 1988 much more vividly, and I'll tell you why. That was the start of 0-21. Mm. And the Orioles lost to the Brewers, right. who were then in the American League, 12 nothing. They lost 12 nothing. there was a delayed double steal of home, three pass balls, four errors, all kinds of things going on, and you know what happens after an opening day loss. What do the players say? Oh, man, it's just one game, no big deal. Well, it turns out to be 21, so it was a big deal.
0: <laughs> hey, can you, uh, can you share some some memories of what it was like being on the beat with Tim Kirkchen and what that challenge was like?
1: Not pleasant. <laughs> Tim, I know people see Tim now on television and he's just what he is on TV, the nicest guy in the world, loves the sport, passionate, just a friendly, happy person. He always has been that guy. He's not changed. But when he was a beat writer, and most people now don't remember this because it was a long time ago, he was as competitive, as vicious in a good way, And as great as any beat writer in the country at that time, it was virtually impossible to beat him. And I was young. I was a kid coming into this and I had no idea what I was doing. And it was not just Tim. It was Richard Justice with the Washington Post covering the Orioles at that time. And yes, now Tim was a greater concern because I was in the Baltimore evening sun. Tim was at the morning sun and Baltimore was our audience, not Washington, but Richard was still Richard. And, Tim beat me like a drum for two years, and the one time I got him on something really small, and I still remember this, Cal Ripken Sr. had been fired as the manager of the Orioles six games into the O-21, Frank Robinson took over. Later that year, I got when they were going to bring Ripken Sr. back in some kind of capacity. So I reported that, and considering that Tim had crushed me every day, and I would wait for the morning paper to come out at midnight and just take my licking. And it was every day. There was no internet. You couldn't catch up right in the way. So, basically, I got that story, which was a relatively small story. He came back the next day with four stories. <laughs>
2: each
1: one bigger than the next, including what, what exactly Ripken Sr. was going to be doing. And you talk about being defeated, Andy. I just felt like, why am I bothering? This guy, he's relentless. He he just—he was absolutely (laughs) relentless. He was a great, great beat writer. But I will say this about Tim. He taught me so much. And he taught me how to compete. Mm -hmm. And he mostly taught me about the game. Because I was not someone who knew a ton about the game. And one of his lessons stays with me Mm -hmm. to this day. And it's really one of the most important lessons anyone covering baseball can learn. The game is hard. What these guys do on the field, it's hard to do. And the ones we're watching are the best at it, and it's still hard for them. And you have to kind of mm-hmm. understand that when you're writing about it. And I thought that was a great lesson. I and mean, he taught me so many lessons, and
0: I remain kind of at all of them even to this day. The one year I was on the Yankees, I it you know it was uh it was a little different obviously because uh, there's a lot more beat writers and you could get stuff on the internet but uh, or on Twitter or whatever but like I just had I never broke anything like I just ne- you know never had anything and one because I was useless and two because there was lots of other good people on the beat and I remember um, in August that, uh, you know, I'd been like just getting my ass kicked on everything all year. And just, you know, A-Rod was fighting with the team. And, you know, so there'd just be constantly, I was just constantly trailing people on everything. And I finally was able to break a story. I was going to break, you know, I worked on this for like two days that the team was signing Mike Zagurski to join their bullpen. He had been like, he'd been waived or something. And they were signing him and bringing him in. And, uh, you know, I got into the, uh, the press box that day and I was sitting down down and uh, getting ready to type out a tweet about this, and George King looks at me and just goes, where do you see the guy they're bringing in today? And that just brought me down to such a low level that I felt like I couldn't even have this one small moment. I couldn't even have this one small thing without George already knowing about it five days before. It was good times. Good, good times.
1: The beauty of what we do, and I guess all jobs are like this. All I know is our jobs, but Everyone was there once, and we all were the person on the beat for the first time going through that first year, which was horrifying for me. It was just, it was the, I didn't know how to travel. I didn't know how to do anything. I was 24, I was, and I was a, a young 24, put it that way. So we all go through that, and I always kind of try to explain that to younger writers who are going through it gonna get better. Can't get worse. And you'll you'll survive it. And I'm sure it's like that in other fields too where you just see young people come in and sometimes they're Mike Trout and more likely they're like the rest of us, not quite as gifted.
2: Well your your story has given <laughs> me some serious flashbacks because, you know, my first beat was the Orioles too. I was at the Washington Post and Jeff's Reback, who actually now works for us covering the Ravens was the Orioles writer for the Baltimore Sun. And Jeff's Reback pretty much kicked the shit out of me every single day of the 2008 season. And, and it was horrific. My goodness, it was horrible. And, you know, I'm old enough to where that was pre-Twitter also. So that awful feeling of dread waking up in the morning and knowing you were going to wear it all day long... Um, I got a taste of that too, and I didn't like it very much. So I'm curious, Ken, now that you're at this stage of your career, you're no longer that 24-year-old kid, um, what do you think would be the most important piece of advice you would give to somebody on their first day covering a Major League beat?
1: Well, it's interesting because I just had this conversation recently with one of our writers who is starting out in their first year. And kind of the two things Tim taught me, among many others, be there on time, be there when the clubhouse opens, because you never know. And he didn't actually ever say that, but I noticed he was always there. Because, heaven forbid, he's not there, and I happen to be talking to a guy, and I get something, and he was not there, whatever the case might be. Whatever, if a fight breaks out in the clubhouse, which doesn't really happen, but... You never know. So be there when the clubhouse opens, be there on time, et cetera. Be there for everything that's scheduled, press conferences the like. And also, what I used to do back then was kind of check in with every guy every day. And Tim taught me this too just by watching him. Even if you're not asking a question related to the beat or what you're doing, you could just check in, how you doing, you know, anything going on at home. And it was just good to kind of maintain relationships that way because a lot of this is relationships, really all of it is. So that was kind of my experience. Those are the things that I advise people. And then beyond that, it's pretty simple. And this was taught to me early too. The amount you put into it is probably the amount you're going to get out of it. And it doesn't always work that way. You might work really hard on something and not get anything out of it. But the message there is the harder you work, the better you'll do and i have always felt i was not the most talented in many ways but i felt if i worked hard i could somehow find a way and i that pretty much is how i feel to this day
0: it seems reasonable i'm glad you told krig that when you gave him the pump up talk earlier this week <laughs> 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 hey ken how do you do this job buddy
2: i'm so needy i'm so needy
0: ah <laughs> uh. Hey, can you uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about the project you and Jason are working on? Or are you able to share a little bit of what the kind of what that might look like, or do you not want to give it away? No, it's fine.
1: So, one of the things I enjoy most about working at our place, and we've done it all the three of us at various times, is collaboration. You know, working with others and Jason, longtime friend, like we never got the chance to work together until now. The athletics. And we were just kind of talking the other day. We had both been talking to some people about what the 2020 season might look like when it eventually begins, what the sport should do going forward, how this all might appear. So we kind of wrote everything out together. We each wrote different sections of this. And it came out to about 4,500 words, which is pretty long. And with our editor's assistant, Emma Span. Emma kind of suggested three stories. One is going to be on possible things that could happen with an abbreviated season, uh, an expanded postseason, doubleheaders with seven-inning games, all these cool different ideas. And then another part of this is, wouldn't it be great if the two sides used this hiatus, the players and owners did, to strike a new CBA? Unrealistic as that might be. The idea is good. (laughs) Yeah, the other is good. And then the third story, I'm working on it right now, is about the draft, and this one might be shifting based on how these negotiations go, but basically the difference Major League Baseball and the players are having about what to do with the draft. Baseball wants the right to cancel it or modify it, and some on the players' side say, no, no, have the draft and you can do some different things to alleviate the financial mm. burden on
2: the owners. You know, Ken, 4,500 words for Andy McCall is a lead. <laughs> I know.
1: Well, and hey, for Jason, Jason can breathe, and there's 2,500 right there. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was going to say, J- J- Jason opens up his laptop, and there's 600 words on there. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it's great. It's the best 600 words you've uh. so. But... It, it's a lot of fun working with Jason, and uh, he's got he's so smart, and he's got so many great ideas always, and he's, he's just a great guy, as you guys both know.
0: Is it uh, so? As like, you mentioned, I guess, that this has been a nice, like, um, distraction you know in a way um you know kind of having the work like have you found that baseball folks want to talk to you about baseball or do they just like like because I feel like a lot of the conversations I'm having with the people who I talk with fairly often in the game like it's more just like checking in on guys and I'm just kind of curious like how you toe the line between you know wanting to one maintain the relationships with the people we know so well but also kind of trying to do your job at the same time
1: Yeah, I'm kind of talking to people the way I normally would. Uh, The people I'm checking in with are friends, colleagues, that kind of thing. And yes, some baseball people maybe who have particular situations, but Mm. the conversations I'm having with people in the game are kind of normal. Similar to what I might have in the normal course of events. So that part hasn't changed much. Uh, There are a lot of people wondering, you know, how this is going to work when the season resumes. And those are the gists of the conversations that I'm having.
2: Do you guys get the sense that people are bored? And I ask that because, uh, you know, I tweeted out something silly last week about, you know, build your all time starting lineups. And a lot of people tweeted about it. Jack Flaherty had jumped on it from the Cardinals. But I was surprised because there were just people in baseball that were texting me with their lineups out of the blue. Um, there were there were managers doing it, okay. Like, and and it wasn't even necessarily people that I talked to all the time. Uh, it gave me the sense. Actually, I asked one of them, he's like, "You must be bored." He's like, "I'm going out of my mind." Uh, do you get a sense that people are just sort of like, you know, just want to talk about it simply to break it up a little bit? Because obviously, there's more important things going on, and as we've talked about a lot, there's a lot of things being impacted. But at the end of the day, it this is what ties us all together in this little world, so is there an element of that, do you feel?
1: I'm sure. And actually, Mark, that was a great idea you had. It got so much response, and it was kind of a fun thing at a time when people needed a little bit of fun. And it, it's just something that is enjoyable to think about, and yet in the course of a season or even an off-season, you don't have the time to sit back and have fun Discussions like that too often because there's too much going on with the game as it stands. So I do find that there is not just an audience for that among people in the game, but as you found with this, there's an audience period for this kind of thing. And people just would like to, even for a minute or two, just think about something else and think about something that is enjoyable to them and that kind of thing an all-time team it, it, it's an enjoyable thing to think about so yeah i that is welcome right now and that i don't want to give you too much praise but that was a pretty brilliant idea
0: <laughs> yeah let's uh let's let's not go too far here ken uh <laughs> well look um if you're if you're listening out there, you know you're you're very aware of kind of what the situation is, right? Like there's there's no games going on. The NCAA tournament's canceled. The NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, they're all postponed. People are watching, you know, marble racing. It's uh, it's a strange time, um, and I think we are all sort of seeing what uh, what sports uh, mean to us, um, and I think we're all sort of seeing the, you know, the place they. They, they fit kind of in our day-to-day existence. And The Athletic is still home to, you know, 400 sports writers. We're out here trying to tell stories, trying to keep people informed, trying to keep people entertained. You know, there was a good story about how, you know, Ronaldinho is in a Paraguayan jail right now. There's a good story on our site about how, you know, Todd Gurley and the Rams was a relationship beyond repair. There's all these great stuff coming from, you know, Ken and Jason to look forward to in the next uh, few days. And, you know, it's during times like this that The Athletic can keep you connected to, you know, the teams and the players and the games that, that really mean something to you. And so if you want to sign up, uh, you can. I swear you can totally do this. Um, you know, you'll get 40 percent off of an annual subscription. Um, and I think, you know, you'll you'll like it. I mean, look, this is a you know, I, I have a pretty simple pitch for The Athletic as a website. You know, it's a good site. If you like sports, you will find something you like on there every day. It's, uh, it's a good sp- it's a good site. If you like sports, you'll you'll find good stories. So you can go to theathletic.com slash beyond the scrum for 40% off and annual subscription. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you signed up because uh, we'd like to keep the lights on. We'd like everyone to keep the lights on. And, um, you know, I think uh, we've got a really good thing going here and we're going to do our best to try and get through it i mean uh i assume uh you guys feel the same way hopefully <laughs> i
1: do and it's important to point out that the stories right. we do often are different and the best features we have are these features that go deeper so mission doesn't change now that we're in this situation that we're in and dennis lynn wrote a really good story yesterday about Fernando Tatis, and how in spring training earlier, there was a cancer patient who came and was bald because of her chemo, and she wanted him to sign her head. And the story is about that, but it's about so much more. It's about the patient and her journey and overcoming or dealing with the obstacles she's dealing with. It was just beautifully done. And Zach a had an interesting story yesterday about James Floyd, the relief pitcher, the journey he has taken in his career healthy journey, but one that's taken them to many places. So these are the kinds of things that we do, and we do pretty well, as well as anyone out there right now. And if you like that kind of thing, you're going to like us.
2: That's so much, you know, if there's anything fun to be taken from this, and obviously uh, it's not been fun times, but uh, I, am, I have been intrigued by the way people on the staff have stepped up with some really creative stories the last couple of weeks and kind of looking forward to seeing how people keep responding to that challenge moving forward. I know, like just from this end, it's been uh, been fun to try to up people, you know, and I think I've got something coming that I can maybe throw in the ring a little bit, but I don't know, man, like it just seems like the exercise of being creative in itself has been kind of cool during this time. And it's been, even just, I feel like for the reporters, like a nice distraction to just do the work, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes, I would say that. And always work is at times when it, it can be that outlet for you. The players often say this, let's leave that as an example, that even if they're having difficulties at home or a parent who is ill, whatever the case might be, they go to the ballpark and that's their sanctuary that's where they do what they do and i'm sure not just for sports writers but for everyone out there that kind of attention that you give to your work does take your mind off some of the other things for those who are able to do that granted we know that there are a lot of people who are in difficult spots who can't do that whether they're ill or whether they're dealing with family or whatever the case might be but i've often found that yes work can
0: well, Ken, we'd like to thank you so much for ha- being our first guest and getting through all the uh, technical issues to get this done. It was really awesome to, to get your perspective on things. And once again, we'd like to uh, offer you guys a chance to subscribe to the Scribes. or What is the name of this podcast? Beyond the Scrum. That's the name of this podcast because if there was a Scrum, we'd be on the outside of it telling you what's really going on. Go to theathletic.com slash beyond the Scrum, and you can subscribe and get a 40% disc off, d- discount. Disc off? I don't know, man. I'm struggling. What? You know, don't judge me. I'm not like a professional broadcaster like any of you people.
1: Do I get a t-shirt from one of Andy's favorite bands or something? Like, what, what do I get
0: here? <laughs> hey, not all of us have a clothing sponsorship, Ken. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <That's right. laughs> no, no, you know what? Before Andy finishes his sign-off, I, I, I have to ask this. Uh, can you give us a Frank Robinson story that you probably can't run in print, but you could totally say on a podcast?
1: All right, they're 0-18s. They roll into Minnesota, and I say roll in, they limp into Minnesota. Jeff Stone, who was kind of the symbol of their futility, leadoff guy, couldn't do anything right, he breaks his finger or dislocates his finger in Minnesota. We go into Frank's office after the game. It's Tim, Kirchin Richard, Justice, and I. And we say, hey, Frank, is he going to need to go on the DL, which was then the DL. Frank gave the immortal answer when asked about Stone going on the DL. He said, I don't know, but I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, boy. Oh, man. Uh, He was fun to cover, uh, guys. Well, Ken, we'll
0: have to have you back on at some point for a full Frank Robinson pod. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, we're not going to be able to top this next week, but we're sure going to give it a try. Thanks again. Everyone stay safe and we'll catch you uh, next week.